hey guys um might i just share something with you guys i want to remind you that i do have a patreon page for those that are not familiar with that it's an easy way for um, those interested in my work to see new exclusive content and updates before anyone else and it's also an opportunity to contribute to the show to help with a project that will be rolled out and as well as um the opportunities i have to give back to the community by contributing as little as one dollar per month yes i do not discriminate against money you can actually contribute to the show as one of my listeners and supporters i'd like to invite you to be a stakeholder on the show as well if you're interested in becoming one of my patrons please help me and lay the foundation for what i hope to be a great ongoing project the most stable show if you're not in a position to become my patron to financially contribute to the show that's no worries at all your support still means the world to me um if you're unable to donate financially another way you can help is to spread the word every time you get announcements about new episodes please share it on your page and maybe even adding a few words about what each episode means to you and things like that that goes a long way to promote the visibility of the page so whether you can afford to pay at least a dollar a month or not um I just crave your indulgence to help spread the word about the show. I was a little bit uncomfortable asking for money, but I found needs to like be able to use money as a vehicle to help more. Um, some of you might know um, a few episodes ago, I brought in a guest that has schizophrenia and I wanted to get her back on her medication. So I raised a fundraiser on my Facebook page and within days, um, I had raised more than enough money that I needed for her to give her for a year of um, medications. So that's something we did. So I want to keep this open-ended so that way every time we have opportunities to give back to the community i don't have to necessarily start a fundraiser so thank you all um and i do appreciate your support and thank you for giving me courage to keep this platform going now enjoy the show hello everyone i am Sibel, and this is the more Sibel podcast everyone welcome back to the show this is the more civil podcast a podcast about culture and cultural nomads designed for blacks and asians and those who love them i'm your host most civil nigerian born years educated korean speaking struggling intellectual women's health uh, that's a very big hot topic today on the show i have someone who's very qualified to talk about some issues that i have handpicked from my audience from my listeners and we're going to do a good job to do justice to it so his name is dr babajide alala day He's um, qualified in medicine from University of Lagos you know, um, and obtained his master's in public health at the Richard M. Fairbank School of Public Health in Indiana um, at the Purdue University. He currently practices um, obstetrics and gynecology as an associate member and diplomat of the Royal College of Obstetrician and Gynecologists. He's currently a member of the Institute of Clinical Research UK and fellow of the Royal Society of Public Health London. According to him, his mission is to bring a total change in accessibility to healthcare information in Nigeria and Africa. He's a fervent promoter and advocate for maternal health issues and the founder of Ask the Gynecologist Group um, Nigeria, which has a lot of members, I think maybe 1.5 million, but I'm gonna clarify that with him. He spends his time between the US and the UK, and when not working, he enjoys traveling and writing about Forex, and U.S. options, <laughs> capital market. Um, he has published two books on the same. What a privilege and honor to have him here on a Saturday morning. Um, good morning, Dr. Lala Day. <laughs> good morning, and thank you more for uh, having me here. I really appreciate you, and uh, I say thank you so much. And thank you for the patience and for extending the uh, invitation here uh, to discuss these uh, pertinent issues that uh, pertain to female health. Yes. Thank you once again, and good morning. 
You're welcome, sir. Thank you, Andy. Oh, we just can, we can keep saying thank you, thank you. And I just want to say um, special thanks go to Tinoade Olariwajo, mutual friend. I had put up a post on Facebook soliciting um, someone that could come on the show to talk about this um, issue, and Tinoade tagged him on there. So I want to say, Tinoade, thank you so much. And the post was, um, for my limited circle of friends, I have noticed there's been a spit of Nigerian women, even those in the diaspora, presenting gynecological issues such as ovarian cysts, fibroids, endometriosis, adenomyosis, and the likes. To that end, I'm in search of an OBGYN or reproductive endocrinologist with expertise in any of these issues to come on the show. During that time, we'll explore women's health and advocacy, as well as prevention and management of these exacerbating symptoms. So this is going to form the bane of our discussion now. I don't know which of the aspect of that whole um, um, sentence or statement would you would like to you know begin with Dr. Lalade? Yes, uh, like, like you rightly said, uh, obviously I got the invitation uh, through and to uh, a mutual friend. I also apparently went to the same college, the same university back, back in Nigeria as well. So we have this we have a similar background and That's true. <laughs> as well. So like I said again, um, and, and like you rightly said, uh, the point we'll be discussing today about female, you know, obviously, uh, gynecological health concerns, uh, as it affects uh, women in the diaspora, what changes uh, um, could have taken place or, you know, people moving from back home here, what, how, you know, how, what makes these things so prominent or come to the fore or to the foreground? Yeah. And these are the reasons. And I was talking about uh, ovarian cysts, like you said, uh, fibroids, endometriosis, and adenomyosis, obviously, what they have how they can be diagnosed, what are the obvious symptoms that people may have before they are concerned or before they go or present to the doctor, to the OBGYN, and how they are diagnosed and how it can be managed. And also to talk about what changes in the life of women back home in Nigeria, here in the Western world, America, United Kingdom, or wherever we are in the Western world, that makes diseases more prominent or more prevalent or more uh, complicated. So I've been talking about this since, and uh, uh, these are my, um, you know, basically lifestyle factors, how these things affect our lifestyle. And the, 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 therefore, the next thing that a woman wants to ask me is that, how does this affect my fertility? Because that's what women want yeah, to do. Yeah. Is this cancer? Is this going to kill me? So that's mm-hmm. what people want. And that's what I'm talking about today. And the next, next thing we're talking about, there's going to be a, a case presentation which we use to kind of uh, bring the points home and make it real to the you know, like a real world scenario. Yes. And then we'll take some questions and then talk about this. And like you also said, uh, I uh, started my platform as a gynecologist in November 2015 with mm-hmm. uh, a colleague, Dr. Chudu Fondu. And by the grace of God, we've grown from zero to 1.5 million members. Congratulations. Uh, that is very um, exceptional, sir. Thank you so much. Uh, you know, it's, it's a wonderful dream. And to be honest with you, it makes me happy all the time that we can share and we can bring people to understand things and make it into little, little chunks where people can understand common gynecological thing and i'm happy i'm here as well it's a privilege and i say it's a it's an opportunity to give value so without much ado let me start quickly so you know when we talk about female problems like ovarian syndrome mm-hmm. fibroid endometriosis adenomyosis to people it, everything sounds the same doctor what's the difference i went for a scan i was told i have a cyst am i going to die is it cancer or is am it, i going to be able to get pregnant and what are the odds of getting pregnant yeah 
I'm young, I'm 26 years old, I'm going to marry soon, it's going to affect me, am I going to get pregnant, blah, 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 blah. That's what the woman, that's, that's the main concern with the woman. Yes. And unfortunately, back home in Nigeria, because most of our audience, I presume, are probably in Nigeria or probably in the diaspora, we and um, there's no really follow-up. Once you go for a scan, you get a scan done at the scan center because it's done privately, they just give you the report. They don't really break it down to you because everybody's so busy, they want to scan the next person because it's a mm. private enterprise. So mm. people don't get the opportunity, opportunity to be debriefed, so to say, that this is, this is, this is, this. What they found, what it means, and what should be done. So people are confused and they think they're going to die or they come with you to also ask for simple questions which can easily be explained. So I tell them what surveillance is. Basically, uh, when people hear of ovarian cysts, they always think of polycystic ovarian syndrome. They think mm -hmm. that they are different. See, polycystic ovarian, polycystic, a polycystic ovary is a kind of a descriptive term to say there are multiple cysts, tiny, tiny, tiny cysts in the ovary itself. So that is to say there are tiny, tiny, tiny pocket of cysts around inside mm -hmm. the stroma or inside the wall of the ovary. Cysts mm. are supposed to pop, but for some, for some reason they don't pop, they don't release egg, and they're multiple, and is now described anatomically as a polycystic ovary. As opposed mm. to cysts where there's a distinct fluid-filled cysts or cysts that contains content attached mm. separately to the ovary. So polycystic ovary is a descriptive term to say there are tiny, 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 tiny cysts in the wall of the ovary. But ovarian cysts is a separate cyst, distinct cyst attached, which can twist on itself. So by imagining, in putting your cap of imagination like Albert Einstein, yeah. an ovarian cyst can twist on itself and can cause pain. But a polycystic ovary does not cause pain because there are tiny, tiny, tiny located cysts in the ovary. In the ovary. Those ones can twist, they, they, they can twist. So ovarian cysts can twist, it can cause pain. And that's what you go to scan, they can say, oh, you have ovarian cysts. You have polycystic ovary, or you can have both. Mm. Ovarian cyst doesn't really stop you from getting pregnant. But polycystic ovary is one of the commonest causes of infertility, according to the WHO. We have a criteria, that's a criteria number two. Polycystic ovary is the number one cause of infertility. Mm. And, you know, but I'll go into that aspect shortly, because polycystic ovary is not really on the topic today, but I'll talk about it because people get confused. Yeah, yes, it's good to have that clarity. Exactly, with polycystic ovary and ovarian cysts. The same thing too with endometriosis and uh, adenomyosis. It sounds similar. People are saying, what's endometriosis? What's adenomyosis? And what is fibroid? So these things are very similar. We'll talk about them today in, its, uh, in their entirety as much as we can. So that is polycystic ovary. That is ovarian cyst. What is fibroid? Fibroid is, see, the womb itself is a big mass of muscle. The womb contracts to expel contents like monthly period to expel the baby once baby, baby is full time to expel anything the womb the way the womb does and behaves is to expel anything in, in, in its cavity it contracts it's a muscle yes. smooth muscle mm -hmm. so the womb contracts under the power of oxytocin it's a kind of hormone yeah. you know so which is produced and, you know and it helps the womb contract to get things out so the, so the wall of the womb is basically bag of muscle mm -hmm. so for some reason for some reason a particular part of the womb just becomes so thick and becomes so local. This thickness becomes so localized. It could be outside the wall of the womb. If you imagine a house, you put a pillar outside, mm. but you could put the pillar in the wall of that house. Mm. So the fibroid could be outside. 
it could be in the wall of the womb, or the pillar could be in the house. You know, you can put the pillar inside the house. So it could yeah. also be in the cavity, in, in, in the living room, which is not pleasant. It's so not. it can be anywhere. It could be outside, it could be in the wall of the womb, or it could be in the cavity of the womb. So they are called different names. They'll say, oh, madam, we've scanned you. That I'm using a kind of a West African uh, accent now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we scanned you. Uh, you have a fibroid. You say, you say it is a cellular fibroid. That is to say it's on, uh, the, on the outside. You say okay. It's in, in the wall. Or subcellular. That is is in the cavity. Hmm. So all this there. And what these fibroids, what they do is they increase the surface area of the womb, making your period much, much heavier, making okay. your period more painful because there's much, much more muscle mass that's on the fibroids could be so huge, like as big as a grape, uh, or as huge as a, as an ovarian cyst, and it can be so painful. Hmm. And because of that increase in surface area during your period, there's more pain. And sometimes, if, like I said again, if the fibroid is, is in the cavity of the womb, sub when the when you get pregnant and the pregnancy implants are over there, it, yeah. it can miss because it's it, it's not a normal part of the wall of the womb. Pregnancy mm-hmm. can implant anywhere, but if it chooses to implant on that particular fibroid, bad, too bad. Or that or those fibroids will even obstruct the baby's growth. Yeah, it can obstruct the baby's growth, and obviously, as you get pregnant. As the womb gets bigger in pregnancy, because the womb will get bigger, fibroid is part of the womb, it's going to get bigger anyway, and it mm. will cost you what they will tell you on scan, you have red degeneration. So that is common. I'll tell you, I'll talk about how to treat them shortly. Okay. Another thing we have is endometriosis or adenomyosis. Mm. What, is, what is endometriosis? Basically, endometriosis is when you see, when you look at the wall of the womb, inside, not outside, so the womb is like a big cavity. So imagine a big Football. Mm-hmm. The football is, is there's an outside where, where you kick about, but there's also the inside where you pump air. Okay, so the inside of the wall of the womb is that inside of that football. Inside that wall, every month you bleed, bleed every cycle you bleed. Most mm-hmm. most people every month. So for, for some reasons, for some people have irregular period anyway. If we have time, we'll talk about that later on. So some you normally every month you bleed back and forth, back and forth. So that mm-hmm. those. Bleeding is coming. I mean, those bleeding you see episodes is coming from the cells that line the cavity of the womb. After a month, yeah. After a month, you don't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Endometrial cells. So that's all the endometrial cavity and the cells are the endometrial cells. Yeah. Once we look at them under the microscope, there's a layer that bleeds. There's a layer. They bleed every month. I I I won't go into too much of histology. Basically, so basically, these layers they bleed every month. For some reason, those cells, those endometrial cells, some of them, they become wayward. Instead of them staying in the zone, instead of them staying in the womb, instead of them staying and living in the normal garden, they find their way outside, they are stubborn cells, they move into the tube, they go and implant on the ovary. Uh... Because endometriosis. Once they implant on the ovary, we call them endometrioma. If they go and implant on the bowels, you can even go as far as on the liver. What? As far as what are you looking for? Why? What makes them move around like that? Uh, there are so many tiers. I'll, I'll talk about them. Shortly. So they can move around as obviously to the lungs and during periods of people when they cough, they cover blood. They can even get, go as far as yes. I have a friend that has bleeding on her navel, like when she's on a period, her, exactly. her navel like you know gets bigger and then it's it's inflamed with 
blood and all that. You can actually see it. And she bleeds through her navel. Those are endometriotic deposits in the navel. They can go anywhere. <sighs> and the, there are so many uh, theories of, or, or so many theories proposed because some, some, some people think these cells, they can move to the, the, what we call the lymphatic channels. They find their way. And that I will explain how they can get as far as the brain, as far as the lung, because there's no embryological origin that links the brain womb anyway. So if they can get as far as the lungs of brain, it, could, it will be through the lymphatic channels. Or they can move through maybe the blood vessel, we think. They can even, even just by direct contact. Obviously, that's why they're on the tubes. That's why they're on the ovary. Yeah. Basically, that's kind of a, what we call red, retrograde menstruation. Instead of mm. you bleeding out, you bleed inside. Inside, so yeah. yeah. So we call them, we call that retrograde, retrograde menstruation. It goes back in, implant on the ovary, and so on and so forth. So there's so many theories, and in most cases, we don't know why. So that's endometriosis. So they'll cause pain during, because during periods, those deposits where they are, because they can't bleed out like their normal brother and sister from the womb. Mm-hmm. Like, like that, your friend, liver will swell up. Yes. And mm-hmm. pain. The same thing too, if it's implanted on the bowels, wherever they are, they will stretch with blood. Yeah. But because they, they can't bleed out, they will cause so much pain with the stretch. And because they, there's no proper nerve innovation in the tummy, it's all smoothness, it's all through what we call the vagus nerve. Yeah. Those will be so vague, like the name, vagus nerve. They'll be so vague. The, the, the pain is, is, is in the uh, um, navel, but it's causing pain everywhere. She'll be so uncomfortable. As soon as the period set, settles, in, settles down, the pain is gone. That's one thing. That's the for you. That's how they behave. And that's how they, sometimes they can go and implant on the rectum. So do intercourse with the husband. Yes, it causes pain. Whenever she's trying to open her bowels, she's in pain during her period. Mm. As far as the period finishes, she's back again to unky dory. So that's endometriosis. This other one I'll talk about is adenomyosis. Adenomyosis is simply the same thing too with endometriosis, but instead of it going into the tube or ovary or lungs or, or your friend, the navel button, it moves into the wall of the womb, back into the wall of the womb. Hmm. It's not fibroid. The fibroid is thickness of those muscles. Yeah. Adenomyosis is this, those same cells that line the cavity that normally bleed out they now move and invade into the wall of the womb, okay? And then they cause the same pain. And sometimes it makes the womb swell up and so globular, like, like a, a foam. It makes it spongy and make it very uncomfortable. And during the scan, we say, this woman, you know, your womb won't be so bulky. It appears or has appearances suggesting adenomyosis. The only way you can confirm adenomyosis, endometriosis, yeah, a kind of what we call biopsy. Yeah. So you, know, you go for surgery, they put mm-hmm. a camera. Laparoscopy put... or something, yeah. Exactly. So uh, once a patient comes to us, they're having pain, menstrual cramps, uh, feeling so much bloating during period, having heavy menstrual bleeding, prolonged bleeding during the period. Usually they are of the middle age, they are still ovulating because uh, it's the estrogen that feeds all this three problems. See, ovarian cyst, uh, fibroid, endometriosis, adenomyosis, they're all the same brother and sister. The yeah. same is true. And, and, and cousins too. 
They are cousins. So, so when you see the other one, they come with their, it's like a passion. When you see Kamini, they come with their brother. They like, you know, when you put one demon in the you go and call the other demons, come and join you. Legion. It's the same way. So, uh, whenever we, we find one, we find the other one in most cases. And it's, and also, and they also come with their brother called Little Bowel Syndrome. IBS, yeah. So, most people that have endometriosis, to two of them will have a little bowel syndrome. It makes sense so, because it, it might it can it can flow towards the bowels like, like you were talking exactly, about, right? Exactly. So uh, that's the reason. So you know, the dog by that direct association because they live next to each other. They share they share the same border. They share the same friends. They are friends. Same border. <laughs> that's a good one. That's great. That's a good. That's a good analogy. They share the same border. So yeah, they'll have similar characteristics. Exactly. You know. So how do we, so, so so they present the same way? They cause pain during period, and because the same hormone, the estrogen, supplies all these things. Most people that have this problem, they are in their fatal week. They are in their fatal. You know, in their reproductive. Years. Yeah, reproductive years. Yeah. But once you get to menopause, age 152 for Nigeria, menopause is there. Your ovaries are switching off. They are packing up because they finish their, their, their show. They are leaving the stage. All those things start to shrink. The womb starts to shrink. And these problems become a thing of the past. So usually if someone comes to me with this kind of problem and we diagnose this kind of problem, if they are around 45, 46, 47, we try to treat them conservatively with simple, simple things that are, is not aggressive. So that by the time they get through menopause, it will subside and they are fine. We can avoid mm-hmm. surgery. So usually these things will cause menstrual cramps, abdominal pressure, and just, just for example, now if you have fibroids, it presses on the bladder. Yeah, it does. Know, and you pee a lot and it hurts when you're peeing or things like that. Exactly. It's pressing on your bowel, you're having constipation because fibroids can be multiple. They can, they can, they can have so many. Like, you know, that head of Mickey Mouse, you have yeah. different, different hair lobes, like Mickey Mouse. The yeah. same way fibroids behave on the womb, you have different, different, uh, they, are, they come with like, um, <laughs> like Mickey Mouse, you know, different, different heads. Even yeah, different, different heads, like a hydra in a way. You know, yeah, you have different heads, yeah. So it can be multiple. It can be solitary. And it can be in the wall of the womb, intramural, like you said. Intramural, can be, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, no, we come with all these menstrual disturbances, heavy menstrual bleeding, prolonged bleeding. And they, for you to know, they are not cancers. They are benign. They don't cause cancer. There's no evidence that says that all these things are very ovarian cysts with cancer. Uh, I'll, I'll talk more about the ovarian cysts that are, that are cancerous anyway. Fibrosis is not cancer. Endometriosis is not cancer. Adenomyosis is not cancer. Like I said again, they are very common in the middle age. How do we prevent these things? That's a good question. <laughs> that was going to be my next one. Doctor, I have this thing. How did I get it? Is it an infection? Is it not an infection? No. How did I get it? Is it because of my mother? My sister had it? It could be. Now, I tell people, we are made up of three things. What, we, what we inherit from our parents that can never be changed, our genes. Mm-hmm. And these genes, the next thing is, and I'll link it to, the next thing is where we live. Environmental factors. Where, where we live, environment. And the last one is what right. we eat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you the reason why I, I put them in that category. Where our genes, we can't change it. It's just what we have. Mm-hmm. What we need from our parents. Okay? They are there. Those genes will be switched on depending on where we live and what we eat. Our environment. For example, you are born in the slum. It doesn't mean you will end up in the slum. Yeah. You can change 
you can move around the storm. By being born poor, it's not your fault. But if you remain poor, it's your fault. So the genes, we can't change it. The next thing that is our saying is where we are. Yeah. Most people will not change their environment, or I'm saying when I say change the environment, for example, now if you live in Lagos, living in Ibadan, you are seeing the same environment. You see yeah. the same. Thing. What I'm saying, a little bit of variation, but you're still in Nigeria. But what I'm saying is, if you move from Nigeria to London or Nigeria to Brazil or to America or to Asia, that is change. So most people will not change their environment more than four times in a lifetime, maximum four times. So genes we can change, environment we can change to, to a, a certain extent. Mm -hmm. And our environment will play and have a significant role in what we eat. But, of, but good things are, is what we eat in most cases that will switch on or close down a particular gene pool in our gene. For a lot of people in Nigeria, they are so thin, they are live, living normal life. Once they get to um, uh, UK, America, they're eating McDonald's, they're eating different, different protein. All these things that make them diabetic in abroad, type two, because of what they're eating, because they're now living a different lifestyle. So what we eat is one of the most important things that changes what we have. And that's the easiest thing we can actually change. It's easier to change what we eat compared to where we live. Yeah. We call them we, modifiable factors. That's the only thing we can modify. Exactly. Within our control, yeah. within our locus exactly. of control. Yeah. That's where I'm going. So now, I'll now move into the diaspora. Why yeah. is it that once someone moves from point A to B, something starts to become obvious? The last thing I said again is what we eat. Our yes. diet plays a significant role hmm. in how we turn out, in how we survive, in how long we live, in what diseases becomes obvious in our life. Arthritis, diabetes, um, asthma, all those things because of the kind of food we eat. Mm -hmm. Another thing, I'll come back to that shortly. No Another thing in an environment like this in the Western world is that we get access to improved medical technology. Access, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Accessibility. Which things can, uh, what I say, things can be diagnosed much quicker. You got expert opinion, you got second opinion. And you can even get things reviewed again. I was supposed to yeah. compare to what we from Nigeria. Things are left. For some reason, we believe there are other factors that are causing problems. We forget that 80% of the things we have is because of us. We think it's somebody somewhere doing somebody something. You know, it's just our beliefs, our background belief. But the thing is that here in the Western world, we get it immediately. Our attitude change. We seek medical help more. We get access to them more. Yeah. Things that are, not, uh, that, are, that are actually much, much either even before because of what we they're eat, brought to light. Yeah. Exactly. they're brought to light. You see, they're brought to light. They are much, they are quick, they are quick much, they are diagnosed promptly and they are treated promptly. So, like I tell people all the time, God has not created a new version of a human being. It's all the same. same <laughs> human being. You see, the same human beings that were here 20 or 20 years ago, they are still working on their legs. We are still working on our legs. There's no different human being. What is different is our mind. Our mind keeps getting expanded. For the last 20 years, the phone we use today is now different. I'm talking now, you can, you can talk to me, I can, you can see me live. Yeah, yeah. So high speed. So the and mind... keep changing in the next 30 years. We might be able to even make people possibly. appear in front of us. In fact, you wonder why and what we're doing with this kind of phone today. As, <laughs> as amazing as it sounds right now, right? <laughs> I still remember Nokia Tata Today, you know, you can talk to me, you can see me, you can do everything, on, you can do your bank, you can do billions of transactions on your phone, basically. 
So I'm um, in the next few years again, they'll wonder why were we even using this kind of phone? <laughs> and it's going to be so. So the same thing too. Let's move, move back to a topic again before we digress so far. Sure, um, yeah. uh, the same thing too. Like I said again with the uh, access to accessibility to you know diagnosis. So yes. things are diagnosed more promptly. They're treated much better, and we get. So once we take all these things out, we, we do histology. We know what it is, and there's no guesswork. That's what makes things different here. And even uh, the technology, the technology that they use, like you know, like the scans and all that, they're more advanced than what we have back home. Yeah, exactly. Real time, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's go back to what we eat, and that's what people want to know. Doctor, what am I supposed to eat? Did I get it from my mother? Now, mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of people, uh, like I've seen the sister has endometriosis, the other female sibling has the same endometriosis too. So endometriosis too has a genetic component. It's common in the black, it's common in the Caucasian race. But it's also slightly equivalent in the black now. Because you remember now, people now in Nigeria, they eat ice cream, all the KFC things, all the processed foods. Yeah. It's very prevalent in Nigeria now. Yeah. Unfortunately, in Nigeria, we're not yet ready to deal with the repercussions that they will start to show up in the next 20 years in the medical uh, world. Be, yeah, they have all these, um, there's, this, uh, there's health insurance, there's, uh, yeah. I mean, you can go to the doctor and all that and get things done. But in Nigeria, it's not that formalized. I know, because by the time uh, people that are eating all, all this junk start to show with the problems in the next few years in Nigeria, there's no access to treating all those art complications. Exactly, exactly. We imported the food, but not the technology. Exactly. We imported the problems, but yeah. not the solutions. Exactly. So when, when those things start to happen, I, mean, I don't think we're yet ready to cope with them. But, you know, anyway, you know, we, we never know. Things will change, and I'm hoping that in, 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 when we look back, things will you know, there'll be... So, what do we eat that makes us prone to these kind of things? Yeah. Very easy. I tell people, the more and the closer you eat food that are closer to the source, hmm. to the sun, to the source, to the ground, the better it is. Hmm. The, less, the, the, the much closer you are to the source of the food in the food chain, avoiding eating too much processed foods, which is difficult because everything here is in the can. They're all processed these days. But the, easier, the, better, the, the, the more you can get to eat food that are much, much closer to the ground, fresh food, the vegetables, your, 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 your fruits, lot of water, exercise, drinking water. Water is important to the body. Water is taking soap, you know, like, oh, I drink water and I'm okay now. A lot of people take it for granted. Oh, uh, doctor, I, uh, I eat a healthy diet. Once you sit down and start looking at what they eat, you find actually it's junk. You see, hmm. to be able to be productive, hit, live healthy life, it starts from what we eat. You are Definitely. what you eat. So it was, it's what we eat that makes us who we are, that will make those genes in our pool turn up or turn down. The good genes will turn up, the bad genes turn down. The genes are there to cause disease. Endometriosis, that's why you see in families, fibroid one, and it's so common in the black race. Mm-hmm. How is it common? It's what we eat. We eat too much yam. That, that's my own assessment. Oh, really? That's your analogy? That, that's your, is it yams? Even before we became um, westernized and no, all that. I'm, I'm not saying it's only yam, but I, I, I'll give oh, a You mean like the, the maybe carbohydrates, like the class of food? Yes. Oh, I see, I see. Sorry. Right. Because uh, carbohydrates, especially, and more so in yam that contains the phytoestrogens. Yam contains a lot of phytoestrogens. That's it, that's it, that's it. And, and I guess that's one of the reasons why we have a very, very high 
twin rate in Africa, in Nigeria, mm-hmm. in Yoruba. Bora, in yes. state, yeah. High level of con- content of phytoestrogens, and that I'm sure, I think, from my own assessment, it increases the risk or the pre-prevalence of fibroids in the southwest and slightly the southeast of Nigeria. Mm. Yeah. But like I said again, it's not cancer. And it doesn't stop you from getting pregnant. Our moms are fibroid. We are here today. And our 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 our, our, our women will have fibroid. They will have children tomorrow. Yeah. So don't panic about it. And um, how do we improve our lifestyle to reduce this kind of, you know, the privilege like this? The food we eat, eat less processed food. Eat more greens, more fruits. The more food you eat, that contain uh, food contain antioxidants, and they help to scavenge all those bad rubbish in your system. Yeah, to, more like, free radicals. Yeah, yeah, they mop it up. All those damaging, damaging free radicals that damages our our, our bodily tissues. Yeah. Those fruit, they are there to mop it up. So fruits so like they have like vitamin A, C, E, carrot, tomatoes, um, yeah. oranges. Yeah, yeah. They mop it up. They mop it up. Mm. So if you eat, and you eat your food. Always have fruits ready on the side to put onto it. Avoid, if you can, process all those processed food burgers and all those processed food. Avoid them, reduce them. Go for the v- vegetables. Don't put too much calorie in your system. You see, you, you we we live, we eat, uh, we live. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think about it. You should eat to live, but not live to eat. Exactly, you you, you got it. So yeah. I always think of myself. Why am I eating? If you, you're not going to use that energy for anything, don't, 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 don't eat it. Don't, don't put but foods. If you eat too much, it could be poison because you poison your system. If, if you eat moderately, you know, you're reducing the level of toxins in your body because you give, you, you're going to give your body uh, yeah, a lot of uh, work to get, get, get rid of the things you don't want. So if you're going to eat, make sure you're going to use it for something active. I try to avoid eating before eating uh, so close to my, to my bedtime. You know? yeah. so I, yes, I can use the food. And um, it's, it's important you, we lose weight to keep our BMI, if possible, between 18.5 to 24.9. It helps to reduce all the risk of all these things. So now let's go into details about what ovarian cysts are. Not all ovarian cysts are dangerous. So like we say in medicine, we say some are physiological. That is to say, they come and they go. They are part, part of the body functioning. And some are pathological. Because your room is dirty doesn't mean you're a dirty person. No. It just means it's dirty. You clean it out. So once in a while, we have ovarian cysts, and they pop, and they go. But yeah, some cysts... Spreading your cycle, right? During the cycle. Exactly. So during the cycle, you yeah. have what we call follicular cysts. Yeah, that one is the Face, normal physiological. Yeah. It will pop to release egg. And once it pops to release the egg, sometimes it becomes full. Because that area that popped on your ovary to release the egg can be full of fluid, becomes, a, becomes just a cyst mm-hmm. like that, or could be... F- what could be filled with blood, what we call hemorrhagic cysts. And afterwards, it, it will regress and to go away. Sometimes, once you release a, a egg, you, you get pregnant, that area on your ovary where you pop the egg becomes a corpus luteum cyst. Oh, yeah? Yes, yeah, sorry, corpus luteum cyst. So that corpus luteum cyst is important for the survival of the baby. Because if you go and say, oh, there's a cyst here, uh, corpus luteum cyst, and you're going to take it out. That cyst produces progesterone to support the placenta until around 12 to 14 weeks. Yeah. Until the placenta is now fully functional. If you can remove that corpus luteal cyst, that person will miscarry. So, yeah. and, the, and there's a, there's a, there's a characteristic, uh, 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 obvious uh, uh, signs we see on the corpus luteal cyst on the scan 
that gives us that oh, this is a couple of spiritual says don't touch it, leave it alone. But if, if you can take it away, that person will miscarry. So those ones are normal cysts. You see, and how do you diagnose them? You, you, you go for a scan. You're having pain, pain during your period, pain during your cycle, pain during intercourse. Go for a scan, simple. Transvaginal scan, in most cases, that they put the probe in the vagina to look into the bone yeah. cavity. Or yeah. they do it, you scan from your tummy. But in most cases, it's easier to see much, much detail through a transvaginal scan. So we do that all the time. And then we say, oh, it's a follicular cyst. It's, a, it's just simple hemorrhagic cyst. Or it's a, simple, it's, a, it's a corpus luteal cyst. It will regress once you get to 12 weeks. Those ones are normal physiological cysts. Sometimes when a cyst pops, it releases those tiny fluid. It becomes so, it, you know, it causes irritation in your tummy. And after a while, it settles. That's why some people during their mid-cycle, when they, are, when, when they ovulate, they release the egg with what we call the mid-cycle pain. This is because of ovulation, the small content of fluid that was released from, from that area of the, of the ovary. It mm. causes uh, irritation in the tummy. It causes mid-cycle pain. It's, but within a day or two, it will regress and they are fine. And that's good. It's just part of it. So if even that's the treatment of such cysts. Once a cyst pops, that's all. That's the treatment. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. Yeah. So there are other cysts like what I call pathological cysts. Those ones are not good. Under the pathological cysts, some could be benign, that is to say, they are not cancer. That's and some, right. some, could be, some could be malignant or suspicious. Yeah. And the same way too, they present the same way too, they cause abdominal pressure, they can cause menstrual cramps, they can cause um, the, the difficulty with you emptying your bowels. You go to empty your bowel, it's not emptying properly, you uh, have frequent urination, you go to the blue often, every menstrual bleeding, you feel bloated after your period or during your period, yeah. uh, you, you go for a scan. We scan you, we see a cyst. For example, we see a dermoid cyst. A dermoid cyst contains hair, skin. fingernails. <laughs> because the ovary is what we call 30 potential cells. It uh-huh. contains, yeah, so those cells in the ovary, they are able to produce anything you want in the body muscle, cells, bones, teeth. It's like a buffet. You can tell them what you want to order and they bring it. Exactly. So you're right. The ovary is a buffet, it contains everything. Because we call, we call it the OVC, it contains 30 potential cells. So, so those dermoid cysts, you see them, they contain hair, they contain teeth, they Skinny contain nails. Animals. Yeah, scary. It's scary. So, it's not a bandage that causes to. <laughs> it's not a spirit, that, a spirit that came there. No. <laughs> a bandage, for those that are non Nigerians, a bandage is just a term for a spirit, uh, an evil spirit. Yeah, it's not a demon. It's not something you go and start praying for passing church. It's just a normal thing in your body which change, changed, you know, and it's just what we can. It's not, it's, 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 it won't kill you. It may cause pain because it's twisted. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So once we scan you, we look at the size, we measure the size, we look at the appearance. Oh, this thing looks like a, or has features that are very, very suggestive of a dermoid cyst. Um, we, also, we also check whether you're still menstruating or not. If you post menopausal, if you, if you stop having period already, you are 52, 53, 53, and you have an assist, we look at it with suspicious eyes. But if you're still ovulating, you are in your 40, 42, 35, you have a cyst, we don't jump and start talking around because you, you don't want to go and damage your... Because once you go and start taking out the cyst on the ovary, you will damage some part of the ovary, guaranteed. So you, you, you're going to destroy some part of the ovary yeah. by trying to... Yeah. yeah. So we try to reduce going in to do operation. So if you have a cyst, a simple cyst, we scan you, it's about four to five, five centimeters, it's not causing pain, we leave you alone, we scan you back in about four months' time, usually with the next four or five 
yes, menstrual cycle, it will disappear, it will, it will regress. So we don't jump on you. But if I see a cyst in a woman of 60, ah, my thought is that let's do some work just to check for cancer. Oh, it might be mal- it might be malignant, right? Exactly. We do that CA one two five. If it is very, very high, 200, 400, oh, it's suspicious. One thousand. Start, start watching out. If you see so much fluid, ascites, so much fluid in the tummy, mm-hmm. the woman is still bloated. Her tummy is so huge. And, she, and everybody says, oh, my mind, you are gaining weight. Oh, and she's having irritable bowel syndrome, which she never had before. She's having gas. She can't empty her tummy properly. Start, and she has so much fluid in her tummy. All those signs are worrisome for a woman of 50, 60. You don't play with it. Best things first, we start doing, we start to state the person, we do scan, we do uh, uh, we do uh, a biopsy. We, we go and uh, take a biopsy of the momentum. Take take some uh, fluid from that. That is what we call cytology to go and see what exactly is this. And if it's something we we cannot plan how to treat it on time, because those cancer of the ovary they present sometimes very late. And if and if they are late, they usually they usually they usually uh, disseminated to areas we don't want them to go, as far as the liver, lungs, or brain, and that's death of most cases. So, you know, we, we, we want to scan anybody that's coming with ovarian cysts to know what it is. If you are in your reproductive age group, we don't panic too much. We do simple blood tests, CA125, alpha fetoprotein, and sometimes you know, all those other tests we do. Like, like a full blood panel test as well. Yeah. Panel, yeah. Cells and yeah. All of that. Exactly. So we do all those things to see what, what it's could this be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we scan them again, maybe, maybe another four weeks time, to see if it's getting bigger. But if you are in your four, your thirties, forties, we scan you back in about four, four, three, four months, yeah, usually it's done. See if it's shed out there and all that. Okay, so it's age dependence, basically, is what you're trying exactly. to say. Exactly. The management is age dependent. Yeah. And when I say age, it, it, that age is actually menopause. Many pre-menopausal and post-menopausal, basically. Exactly. But, you know, obviously, if, if you see a cyst in a woman of 96, for every sake, we leave, even if it's cancer, we leave that enough because if it's started, <laughs> you start, know. it's too late. Right? She might probably die of old age first before the system. There was a research, they decided to take a uh, sample of of some men in the, in, the, in the mortuary. We took samples of their prostate, prostate cancer, almost, yeah, 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 yeah. Almost, yeah. It, 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 it's almost yeah. about 80% of, of those men that they were already there, though, yeah, they, had, they still had, yeah. Yeah. Old age killed them before the cancer even killed them. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I do prostate cancer research. So there's a joke we always say that. But you okay. probably died, probably had prostate cancer as well. Even though yeah. he died at 969. Yeah, 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 yeah. So if you find a woman of 86, 90, let the woman enjoy the many parts and let her go peacefully. They can yeah. start coming out with chemo, radio, and do operation and making a life. Of life yeah. mm-hmm. and taking away the quality of life that she can enjoy with her country. So everything is age dependent. Everything is dependent on what the woman wants in terms of her reproduction. In a nutshell, ovarian cysts, fibroid, endometriosis, adenomyosis are not cancers. Ovarian cysts, if, if you have if, if you suddenly have ovarian cysts at your uh, once you pass menopause, we need to look into it clearly. Yeah. Uh, though even if you're still young, though ovarian cancer is very, very rare, it can still happen. So if you go for a scan, you say you have a cyst, uh, it's a simple cyst, go for a scan again about three months' time, as far as it's not causing you pain. If it's causing you pain, then I think we need to, to, we need to decide what we need to do. 
uh, you know, we need to decide what we need to do. Uh, so, you know, that's one of the things we do. Dermosis can happen in pregnancy. I saw a lady about four, five, four or five months ago. She was about yeah. pregnant and she had a dermoid cyst. Was causing her so much pain. Very lovely lady. At the end of the day, when she got to 24 weeks uh, or 25 weeks, we had to take it out because it was causing us so much. out? Is it pregnancy or the, or the cyst? No. Oh, sorry. The dermoid cyst. Yes. Okay. Dermoid. okay. Yeah, but we, she was aware that uh, going for surgery at that point has a slight increased risk of miscarriage. But God willing, she made it. Pregnancy is fine. She had a baby oh, now. Yeah, you know. So this is gonna happen during pregnancy. But but in most cases during pregnancy, because during pregnancy you're not ovulating anymore. The ovaries are quiet. So cysts are very rare in pregnancy, but they can happen. They can, they can happen. happen. But they are very rare in pregnancy. Uh, thank you so much for that rundown. So I've learned, you know, just a lot about those different conditions, you know, viruses, the fibroids, endometriosis, adenomyosis, how to present, how we can prevent them, especially with the component of um, the modifiable factors like diet, right? Because genes and environmental factors, sometimes those are genes especially is beyond our control. We can't alter our genes. Now, um, I have two big questions for you. One related to the fibroid, and then the other one would be a case presentation that kind of has like almost an assortment of some of those other issues we've talked about. So I have two friends. Um, yeah. One, she's in her late 30s. Um, she, she's, she had like abdominal pain and all that, and she went to do a test, and they found out she had fibroids. And they're huge. And the picture she was, she was she left with was size of golf balls. And so during her um, a cycle, as you can imagine, it's heavy flow. It's painful. Hmm. Like, it's the pain, she, the way she describes it, I, I don't even, but it's really excruciating pain. And she's had to be on narcotics to help with that pain. And sometimes she can't even get to work. She used a lot of heat pad. I think there was a time that she was so much in pain that she had soaked, soaked a, a towel in hot water and she put it over her abdomen in such a you know way to get rid of the pain that she forgot that I was gonna scout her. So that's mm -hmm. kind of pain she's been in. And she's not married. Um for that kind of person, you know, given that she's you know approaching 40 and she's having these heavy periods. Um mm -hmm. what would you suggest to them? Because I'm gonna make sure they listen to this. That's one. Another one she also has fibroids. She's taking them out but they came back, you know, in other locations and she's gotten pregnant twice and you know she lost the pregnancies. And because it said the, because usually what I hear is that when you have fibroids and you have you're pregnant, sometimes as the baby is growing, two things could happen: the um, fibroids could suffocate the baby, or the baby's growth can suffocate the fibroids. But in her case, um, she she lost those two pregnancies, and the the way they they ruled it that was maybe due to the fibroids and the location of, you know, of the fibroids. So for those kind of two women, um, what kind of suggestions do you have for them as far as for conservative management, given that they, I'm sure at some point they will not want to have kids. One of them is married. The first scenario, she's, she wasn't, she's not married, but the second one um, is married and she's had, she's had two pregnancy losses. Thank you so much for, the, for those questions. Uh, I want to ask a quick, quick, quick question one, a quick sure. one. Sure. Second patient. Yeah. At what gestational age? At what pregnancy stage? The first one was 16 weeks. And um, the second one was, she didn't even know she was pregnant. I think it was still maybe like five, six weeks. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. And was the fibroid outside in the wall or in the cavity of the womb? I said it was in the cavity of the womb. I think very close to her bladder. Because she said she, had, she couldn't even sit down. She couldn't, you know, get up all the time. It was close to her bladder. I think, yeah. Okay, so uh, thank you so much once again. So I'm going to yeah. answer this question 
based on the information I have, you know, because the more information I have, the better yes, I'll be. Yes, and I don't have a lot of them, but we just, you know, I'm speculating. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. So, uh, uh, so, in case anybody's hearing me, I'm asking this question based on these simple two, three lines I've received from my. Yes, doctor. that's a disclaimer. Don't yeah. take this as medical advice. Ah, because, you know, there'll be other things that they may not have told you. Yes. A lot of people would keep things private. They wouldn't have told you something. They won't have told you some things. And there are some things they may not even know that yes. was you know, yeah. So I'm just going on that basis of what you have told me now. So first of all, this woman had five boys, multiple five boys, like golf ball size on the womb cavity. For you to say it like that is probably outside the womb. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, first things first, five boys they can be multiple. Like I said before, if you imagine that uh, Mickey Mouse, the head, you no, know, those yes. two, so five boys can present like that. that that's what that and that, that's the way this one is described. So people should imagine and look at it in your mind. So such five boys, like I said again, is part of the womb. As it goes bigger, it cause pain. This lady is not. This first lady is not yet pregnant. Obviously, she won't go pregnant soon. She's about late thirties, yeah, late thirties or early forties. Um, the way to treat fibroid, which I haven't talked about, first of all, if it's causing pain, we give some medications, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, like diclofenac, mm-hmm. ibuprofen, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah, acid, methanamic acid, to reduce the pain and the volume of bleeding. Like I said again before, fibroids increase the surface area of the wound, so there will be heavy menstrual bleeding, there will be pro- there could be prolonged bleeding during period, which this one is suffering from, and they cause also cause pain from the Contraction of the wall of the womb. Mm-hmm. So this girl, this lady, she's in so much pain. She's really impaired, and because of the pain, you can see she's even injuring herself physically. Yeah. This is very common because the pain, pain can be so bad yeah. for this lady. If she's want, if she want to get pregnant soon, she just try now as soon as possible. Because once she's completed a pregnancy, a fatal, fatal story, a baby she want to have, wait, and if this fibroid is still there. She can either go for permission to remove those fibroids or to remove the womb, finally, if she wants mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in such case, they can still preserve like the ovary. Hysterectomy. Without hysterectomy, they can preserve the ovary so that she's still having the hormones. She doesn't go, go into premature, basically, so, so surgical menopause. Because if you remove the ovary too early, she's yeah. going to go into a, a spontaneous, basically, yeah. kind of, yeah, basically, kind of a surgical menopause or premature menopause, basically. So, we can leave the ovaries. Uh, because of this size you're describing, using uh, w- w- what we call progesterone in the form of myrenal coil may not be effective because with this size, she'll probably expel the coil and it probably won't even make much sense. Hmm. Another option she could use is to give her what we call the GNRH analog, which basically they switch off the ovary. Like Luperide? Exactly. Oh yeah. my gosh, that's a horrible drug though. <laughs> I'll talk about it. We 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 use different quantities for IVF and things like that. Basically, yeah. we literally switch up the ovary. And the reason is that, but the reason is that what I'm saying this for her is that that will shrink the ovary temporarily. Mm. And once once you start to get with this activity, mm. yeah, once once start to get pregnant in, in next few years, we stop it and she start to ovulate because basically these medications will switch off the ovary, we switch off the estrogen from the ovary, the estrogen fuels the fibroid you put kerosene in in, in in the lantern in the lamp there will be glow on, on the lamp you you withdraw the kerosene or, or the gas or, or the fuel the lamp goes down simply to we switch off the temporarily switch off the ovaries 
So the estrogenes will drop down, the fibers will shrink, like mm. a kind of temporary menopause. And because of that, you'll start having hot flushes. So to prevent those hot flushes, we give her what we call add back therapy in the form of levial, basically to give her, um, you know, to give her medications to basically take away the effect of menopause to an extent. To an extent. So we do that every two, three months, we stop it so that, you know, uh, you know, she, 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 she won't be on that for a long time. But we don't use that form of therapy for young ladies, for maybe a lady of 15, who is still gaining weight. Otherwise, you affect the bone. Uh, because she, she needs to gain bone mass to prevent osteoporosis in future. Yeah, yeah. So we do that for people, people that are maybe in their you know, 30s and 40s that are, they are still planning to get pregnant in the future. They don't want to take out the ovary. Or we use that for people too that's got endometriosis as well because endometriosis is also fed by estrogen. Hmm. We use that for that as well. So we, we can use those ones because this woman wants to get pregnant to get in the future. We can stop it when she's ready to get pregnant. And that'll be okay for her. Yes, it's very unpleasant because you have hot flushes. Yes, bone pain, um, yeah. foggy brain, yeah, crackiness, mm-hmm. yeah, mood swings, breast tenderness. It's like a yeah. hell. I'm telling yeah, so, you, that's yeah, so it's kind of give and take between how the pain is and whether she wants to cope. Like with the trade off, you know, what do you want? But as it sounds like the, the side effects from Lupron might be a lot better than the pain she currently ex- Experience. Exactly. So that's what I'm saying. Another thing we could do is what we call uterine artery embolization. So we go and use yes. some yeah. basically like material that they, they block off the blood supply, feeding that particular fibroid. But the problem with this is that if she she, 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 she want to get pregnant in the future, it's not advisable. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's what the doc. And I, there are not many doctors that do that here. You have to go to like yeah. a special um, a specialist. Yeah. 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 So, I don't it's think she qualified when they did like her assessment and all that. They said, yeah, they also the size. There's a yeah. cutoff size, I think about yeah. seven centimeters or so, or 10 centimeters, which we don't do UAE. UAE is uterine artery embolization. So we use some materials, they are sclerosant. We put them into the blood vessel that supplies that particular fibroid after doing some assessment with some, some, some basically technician based scans. We see the particular blood vessel. We now we can we do some catheterization, get to the blood vessel, and go and plug and seal up that blood vessel. But the funny thing is that fibroids can be very very stubborn. The, that, that particular blood vessel you blocked off, that fibroid <laughs> wants to grow. You will now develop what we call anastomosis. Oh yeah, connected to the blood supply. Oh my gosh, yeah. it's yeah. like a guess that you've kicked out, but they don't want to leave the house. Yeah. So they they, they, they say, eh, okay now. <laughs> you go and dig a new ball hole. <laughs> you say ball. That's a that's an apt word. <laughs> so they can dig a new ball hole to get water. So they can develop anastomosis. So that's another tricky one. So, but that's one option we can do. And the last one is this will be more peculiar to your second friend. Second kids, yeah. So this lady, your second. Oh no, I know. She she had two two pregnancies, but she miscarried. And this yeah, she one miscarried them. One at sixteen weeks, and one I think around five five weeks or so. Yeah. But she didn't even know she was pregnant for the second one. Another thing we can do if someone has um, five now this is a fibroid in the cavity of the womb now inside, not outside, right? Like the yeah. first one. Right? So we do hysteroscopy. We put a camera in while she's asleep or awake. We can do it in the office. Our, our patient hysteroscopy. Basically, hysteroscopy is to look into the cavity of the womb with a camera, and we see everything on. Screen in real time, you can be away from weight or you can be asleep. 
if it's difficult to dilate the cervix because if you've not had baby before the cervix is so tightly closed can't get into it conveniently so if, if that's your situation and it's so painful then we bring it to theater we put it to sleep in the in the ot we put it to sleep and we put the camera in if we go in and we now see those fibroids in the cavity of the womb we call it submucosal fibroids mm. we can we can reset them we scrape them away basically scrape them away and then um, that should do the trick but sometimes if even after doing that the bleeding is still heavy we can do what we call endometrial ablation basically we burn off the layer of the womb that normally bleeds out every month we burn it to some millimeter thickness into the depth of the womb cavity so like it, so by the time it takes about three or five years before it this cell layer regenerates that person will probably go in through two menopause so if someone is about 45 they've had their babies completely they are almost getting through menopause their fibroid is just in the cavity they want to avoid surgery they will be 47 soon or, or 50 soon and the ovaries will pack up we do what we call endometrial ablation we can do it through microwave technology we can do it through hot water balloon technology what we call thermoblades or microwave endometrial it's basically the same technology we just apply it through different source maybe through uh, you know um, well, isn't that dangerous that sounds like what if some other things get nicked or get inflamed uh, during this process uh, like i said again we first of all do hysteroscopy we, we look into the cavity first of all yeah yeah and then we will have done a scan prior to that to ensure that there's no there are no other things yes there is some you know, there is some things you there are some things you miss anyway but in most cases when once it's done by someone that knows their onions knows what their he or she is doing is not a big deal. I, 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 I we do I the all time. Yeah. But that's for someone that's also completed having a children. Um, she's going to go into menopause soon. She wants to avoid surgery. Um, we do this. And in in the past, we used to do what we call a trans cervical endometrial resection, where we scrape off the uh, the lining of the womb, so that uh, you know by the time it's the same idea before. By the time it regenerates again, the person is mm -hmm. also going through menopause but nowadays with the advent of the uh, endometrial ablation is safer but before we do endometrial ablation if we suspect that this person is in the age range of cancer or something we do a biopsy first of all where we take a biopsy of the cavity of the womb and if it's normal then you can burn but you don't want to go and burn off cancer you're going to make it more aggressive so if we've if, if, if the, the thickness is suspicious or something else is there we go in we take a biopsy what we call Prepare biopsy, basically a biopsy of the endometrial cells. We check it on, on, on the lab, on the microscope by the pathologist. If it's normal, it says it's just um, um, cell, not, nothing to worry about. Then we go and then um, you know do endometrial ablation. You don't want to go and burn off the disease because if you come back seriously hungry mm -hmm. and you don't want to get into that uh, zone. So you know we, we do this before we go there. So in most cases, and and, and that's a biopsy for the for the endometrial cells is almost ninety eight percent reliable. Another thing you want to do is that before you go and do an endometrial ablation, you yeah. do a scan because sometimes some people will have what we call endometrial polyp. It's not a fibroid. It's just a polyp. Polyp. Polyp is a, a, a skin like a fleshy skin tag with a tiny long base attached to the wall of the womb, like a polyp. So it's oh. dangling. They, they, they cause intermittent intermittent bleeding during your period they cause bleeding you know you no know, when you're not expecting sometimes they even protrude through the cervix and they make people bleed during sex so if it's there we sit on scan 
we go to hysteroscopy, we show it's just a, a polyp. We talk to your friends now. The first lady, my suggestion for her will be for will be to consider what we call the GNRH and all the other solution right here to give the GNRH analog to shrink the fibroid to reduce the pain temporarily until she can because once you take away the pain then she can take clearly what options she looks to do. and I think they have options where you can take one every month. I think monthly depots of this yes, 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 yes. every month, yeah. Yeah, so, so, yeah and right now for three three months. You 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 you, you know all this with pharmacists, you know. Mm. So, uh, so that's I think I see your your number one scenario. That will be the uh, I'll, I'll probably consider that in our case as okay. far as there's no other um, medical problems that will that that will preclude, right. preclude are not being able to take this. Okay. I I don't know our medical problems. No. Yeah. So but I should for, talk to her doctor about that. Yeah. Yeah. So from this information I have, I think that will be the best insight. Once you take away the pain, they should be able to reason well. What was once pain is there, she won't be able to reason well. So you take away the pain, should be yeah. better. Then, you, then your other friend, the one, the lady that has the recurring miscarriages with this uh, fibroid. Good thing she's getting pregnant, so she's not infertile. This is subfertility. So I would suggest she will need a scan, and if the scan, like you said again, say there's fibroid, she will need hysteroscopy because it, it seems to be as if the pregnancy is not implanting, and is, and probably is implanting on, on on that area where where there's a fibroid. So I, I think she will need hysteroscopy, and then she will need probably to remove any fibroid in the cavity of the womb and this will probably increase the chances of getting pregnant and for the pregnancy even last and for the pregnancy uh making progress however we need to ensure that she, she hasn't got other problems. if she got diabetes other medical problems that could be affecting the pregnancy yes she'll be having miscarriages mm-hmm. and then blood pressure uh, the kidney function because if you take all that she's getting pregnant that means that she's okay then she will need hysteroscopy and to resect these fibroids. And hopefully, all things being equal, she should be able to you know, okay, carry right. the yeah. full time. All right, I'll let them know that. Thank you so much. Yeah, and just before I wrap up the session, I had a very quick question for you. What do you have to say about some? I have um, heard and I have experienced some people have this, they have this concoction that they say if you take it, it can help to melt, you know, various states, it can kill fibroids, it can kill endometriosis. You pay hundreds and hundreds of thousands of naira. And um, you use those concoctions, usually pills that are in capsule form or liquids and all that. What do you have to say about that? And are there any ones that you've, from your experience, you think, you know, does a better job? Okay. Um, you know, I'm really not an expert in uh, natural or herbal products. I'm trying to read on, on them, though, but I'm still not yet because of time. Yeah. So I'm not really an expert on that, but I will never never in any, any at any stage discredit anything because i don't know about it i see if anybody is saying oh something's not good and you ask them okay what's about it then, then, then they don't really know they're as good as the person that you know it, you know it, it's just to me it's just it's just crazy hmm. so the fact that I, I i don't know about how a car functions doesn't mean i can't drive the car yeah i just put my key for the car i just know so now i, I always tell people if whatever you go to drink or you want to take has not has got something that is if there's nothing inside it that's going to cause you or you know, be of any danger to your health or to your immediate health and it's not going to make uh, uh, some contain other things that could make you know your body your body what maybe you have a kidney failure that so make that person has a kidney failure it could make the renal function worse or compromised you know or, or, or the liver compromised or liver intoxicated or anything that's okay, but while you're taking these things, do not 
just say, I'm not going for my scan again. I'm not taking my other medications again. All of these things, as far as is from this earth, everything, everything has a purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Even all the, all the stuff we take, these medications, they are produced from something. It's not, it's not from space. It's from this earth. Yeah. So, so the, I won't say, you know, I don't know much about it, like I said again, but yeah. I, you know, as far as it's not causing any injury to the kidneys and the liver, those are the major organs. They, they, they are basically, they are the suck away of our body. As far as it's not causing damage to this waste elimination system, I, you know, I, I just hands off. So I, I don't really know. I, it's okay. That's a fair one. And that's actually my own, because when I've been approached to, you know, um, talk about this product, I always say, because we don't have a lot of information about the ingredients. Like you, we flip the back of the bottle and you mm. see like generic names like ginger, cinnamon, but of course they might have those things in them, but what else is there? Are there any proof of clinical trials? And I know we haven't set those kind of facilities yet back home, but probably we need to show like the effectiveness and the efficacy uh, mm. to accompany those claims that they say they do what they're supposed to do. But you're right. I mean, um, whatever you're eating, whatever you're ingesting, as long as you make sure that it's safe, you might want to also talk to your healthcare provider about it. Because if yeah. you have a poor you know, renal function and you ingest some medications, no matter how healthy or how natural they, were, they are, it can you know, complicate your life. So, yeah. Thank you. And then finally, what's your take on eggs? Um, I have a friend who's one of eggs because she said it has a lot of estrogen, especially from the ones here. And every time she avoids eggs, like, especially before her period, her period is better. Um, what do you have to say about eggs? And even though it's it's natural, right? Do you apply for those that have like bad history of you know fibroids and pains during menstruation? Okay, eggs avoid them. That's my advice for eggs. Oh avoid really? Them. Yes, avoid <laughs> I love them. eggs. Yeah, people think it's natural, but it's not natural. And if possible, as much as you can, avoid meat. You mean red meat or what kind of what kind of meat? Generally, meats. Red meat or white meat. Avoid all those meats. But how about fish and um, shrimps and? Uh, we'll, we'll, I'll get there uh, once I talk about this egg. The reason why I said egg, avoid them is egg can be engineered. That's true. So once things start getting to that zone of engineering, it's, it, it's totally come away from the from the natural food chain, you know, and and you've broken the source, you know, it's processed. That's why I don't really like eggs. I try to avoid them. Before I used to eat them before, but you know, as I'm like, no, I don't, I don't need these things anymore. Now let's go back to the issue of fish and the red meat. Mm -hmm. See, the more we, if you look at the food chain, which animals last longer? Is it carnivores or herbivores? You realize that the carnivores they don't live longer as compared to the herbivores, and the reason is that the herbivores are much much closer to the food source. To the sun, to the unprocessed food, the carnivores eat protein. They eat, they devour meat. They are ingesting proteins. They alter their DNA, and they turn off or, or turn down some genes that are supposed to be protective for them. So, the more you eat meat, the more you ingesting protein, and the more you're changing your poo, and the more you be prone to diseases. I see, I see. Yes. And even for the milk, I try to avoid cow milk. I go for things that are plant-based. Plant-based milk. Like soya and almond and all those ones? Almond. But they're, not, they're not even natural, though. They, they, uh, they, are sure? Yeah, sometimes they add a lot. Especially soy milk. There's been a lot of backlash to that. Like, it's not... Yeah, it's, but yeah, it's avoid soy milk. The soya milk contains a lot of estrogens, I think. So, yeah. I don't 
I go for almond milk, all those um, cashew uh, milk, coconut milk. milk. Exactly. Oh, okay. I've been doing that before. I used to have problems with my bowels. Mm. I, I think I'm lactose intolerant. I never knew that. I, I stopped taking cow milk, stopped taking yogurt, <laughs> ice creams, and now I go for the the normal plant based milk. Yeah. My tummy has been quiet since. When, whenever I at work, I take coffee in, in the cafe at work because I, 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 I need it. I usually have problems. I have, have gas in my tummy for that day. But I know that, yes, I've taken something I'm supposed to take, but I, I do, do it once in a while anyway. But yes. Now, let's go back to the fish. The fish meat is not basically... See, if I eat any meat, I'll take the fish fish meat before I go for the... Yeah, meat or white meat because the uh, the uh, meat in the fish contains high level of omega fatty acids and it's much much safer and better. As far as, as far as you're sure as well of the sauce. Of the sauce, know, yeah. I avoid salmon because there's no they've been farming salmon for a while. It has high level of mercury and whatnot. So as far as you're sure that it's from fresh water or whatever, then you can go for it. So you know that's it. Thank you, thank you for that. So, this this wraps up that this section. Um, um, so I want to end this session before we move into the kids' presentation. So that way, it's like two separate things. So thanks for um, just that vivid description of the differences between those um, four medical conditions. And for the first time, I, I heard it. Like when we think about pregnancy implantation, I didn't know until you said it, and you said it many times that pregnancy can implant anywhere, you know, in uterus. And I didn't think of it like that. Well, like you can go to one spot and another spot next time. I didn't know. I just, you know, I just thought about the uterus as one whole thing and the pregnancy just, you know, implants. So it picks a spot. And sometimes the spots can be, you know, places that are already, you know, in a way compromised, maybe due to fibroids yeah. or whatever conditions. And um, thanks a lot for that. Thanks a lot for just the, you know, um, tips on how to, you know, eat better to, especially for those of us that migrate from, places in nigeria where for the most part before we became westernized we had access to food that were closer to were closer to the source you know to the sun and to the, to the ground um, well that concludes um part one of this episode check out the part two of it where there'll be a real life case presentation that kind of ties everything we've talked about and the hope is that you might find some encouragement or even some useful tips in that expedition Check out the website and thank you for listening. Bye-bye.